What is salvation? Who is saved? Can you lose your salvation? What? How can you get it? These are all the questions that we will be discussing today as Pastor Cheryl at John Wesley United Methodist Church uh, takes time to address the topic of salvation. We're going through our XP Faith and Truth series here at the church, and we're talking about fundamental truths of the Christian faith. And so we're going to address salvation, which is a huge question in every single person's life, no matter what faith they have or possibly no faith at all. And so I pray that you are informed with uh, right thinking, and this sermon also inspires you to live out a life Uh, filled with salvation in Jesus. God bless and have a wonderful week. a little exam here for those of you who were in church last Sunday Marty introduced the XP series raise your hand if you can remember what XP stands for okay they're Greek letters and actually in Greek it's Cairo are you remembering now yeah 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 And Cairo are the first two letters of what? Christ. Marty, I'd say we've got about a 20% pass rate here. (laughs) Very effective. Be sure and teach that lesson again because it really sunk in. Cairo, Cairo, we are doing a series based on the fundamentals of what we believe. And so it kind of ends up that we're preaching about doctrinal stuff for the four weeks of this sermon. And I know that sometimes doctrinal stuff can be a little dry, but we're trying really hard not to make it dry because it has to do with our daily lives. Doctrine is very practical, especially today's topic. Because everybody wants to be saved, right? We're talking about salvation today. Everybody wants to be saved. And before I give you my teaching, I want you to identify for yourself, what does it mean to be saved? You don't have to answer out loud, just answer for yourself. What does it mean to be saved? We're a bunch of religious people here this morning. Surely that means something. Got your answer? Hold on to that, and we'll see what happens as we move through this lesson. So salvation is not a product. It is not an end point. Salvation is not a reward for some correct words that somebody said or some correct behavior that they had early in their life. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is not something we get by following a formula or manipulating things in any way. Salvation 
as we understand it in the Wesleyan way, is a process. Salvation is a process. And by the way, it's God's process. It's not ours. Although through God's grace and invitation, we are invited to participate in that process, to be active in it. But from beginning to end, salvation is God's gift, God's process. Salvation comes to us as a gift, comes through God's grace and through our faith as we encounter and learn and are transformed by the person who was salvation, its very self. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories about real people today. First one I want to tell you about, I met the first year that our team went to Kenya. Now, there was an exploring group of six people that went to see if Kenya was actually going to be a good mission partner for us. And and so, sure enough, we got on our plane and we spent days and months on the plane. Well, it only felt like we spent days and months on the plane. We actually spent two days, finally got there, and we were exhausted when we landed in Nairobi. And then we still had visa check to go through and passport and getting our bags and all kinds of things. We finally got outside and there was Reverend Joe waiting for us with a van, and we got to get in the van and travel for two more hours in the dark of night over the most treacherous road any of us had ever been on. And we finally got to the lodge where we would be staying. And guess what was on our minds? Bed. We wanted to go to bed. That was the only thing on our minds. But as we got there, we could see that the entire lobby was lit up and there were people there waiting for us. And, and we went in and the first person that greeted us brought us a tray full of warm, steamy towels. And boy, that, that actually did feel pretty good to wash off a little bit. And then the next person was there with a tray of glasses of juice. And that was really nice as well. And then they had a full dinner buffet waiting for us. Had I mentioned it is two o'clock in the morning? And we have been on a plane for days and months. So we went on and ate. But the story I want to tell you is about this woman who was holding the tray of, of juices. She was just beautiful and she was beaming when we got there. So hospitable at two o'clock in the morning. And as she gave me my glass of juice, I thanked her for it. And I looked at her and I said, thank you for this. And she looked right back at me and she said, my name is Jane and I am saved. My name is Jane, and I am saved. Now, I don't know what being saved meant to Jane, but I know it was important to her. She said that like it was her last name. My name is Jane, and I am saved. So we're about 2,000 years into this church project that started when Jesus left and went back to the Father, and various groups through those 2,000 years have developed differing theologies about what being saved means, what salvation means. How do you get it? How long does it last? Can you lose it? Is it available to everyone or just some? And I want you to know ahead of time, I'm going to be speaking from the Wesleyan understanding of that this morning. It might differ from some other denominations' understanding, but I am, after all, a United Methodist minister, so I will speak from the tradition which I represent and in which I believe. 
I haven't always been a Methodist. I came to the Methodist Church when I was 32 years old, but that didn't mean I was new to the church. I was raised in a church-going family. We usually went three times a week. And the byword of the denomination in which I was raised was, we speak where the Bible speaks, and we are silent where the Bible is silent. And that sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Except that, as I came to understand, all biblical text requires some form of interpretation. So being quite that black and white about the scripture was a little problematic, but that's the way I was raised. In this tradition, believers' baptism was taught as the standard. What that meant was that people would be baptized only when they were old enough to understand what they were doing. You couldn't get baptized too early because you might not understand, and then it wouldn't be valid. It wouldn't count. It wouldn't take. But you couldn't risk being baptized too late to be saved because if you died, you wouldn't go to heaven. So there was always a lot of anxiety and tension about when it was time to get baptized, Uh, and baptism was absolutely the pinnacle of what saved you in that tradition, and woe unto the person who did not go through the five steps of salvation. Several years later, I can still remember them. They are here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. That's what you had to do to be saved. So one Friday night with shaking in my shoes. I told my mother, I was 13, that I thought I was ready to be baptized. Now in our tradition, that would mean that the next week somebody would call the, one of the pastors and have a talk and we would get a baptism scheduled and the whole community would celebrate in that, but that's not what it meant in my tradition. What that meant is that Friday night, my mother picked up the phone and called the preacher, and we scheduled a meeting bright and early the next morning to get me under those waters. So Daddy got up the next morning and fed the cattle early, and Mother did whatever she did, and we all drove into town quickly, but not carelessly because you wouldn't want to get in a car wreck because I was in that dangerous territory. And we got there, and I put on a beautiful white baptismal robe, and then I was immersed beneath the waters, and I came up, and I felt totally new. I had been taught that by that action, I had been saved. And it was years, folks, years before I came to understand that my baptism was not what saved me, and When I did get saved, it was something that God gave me as a gift, not something I earned, not something I had to understand. It was years before I came to understand that that salvation required much more than being immersed in the water. Salvation is ever so much broader, ever so much more beautiful and grand than what I could have imagined then. I know now but I didn't know then, that salvation is a process, not an event. It's true that throughout life we respond to God's initiative and we are transformed over time by salvation. It is a gift. 
It is not a transaction such as when you go into a store and you do certain things and then the store lets you have the merchandise. We do not make transactions with God. We receive gifts from God. So before we read our text for today, it's important to look at the Greek word which gets translated as salvation or saved or save by the time it gets to us in English. We never, unless you read Greek, we never get to read the actual texts. We are always reading a translation. So when we open a Bible and we come upon the word salvation or saved or any derivative of that word, we're probably looking at a word that was translated from the Greek word sozo. As in most translation, we lose something in the process, for sozo means a great deal more than being saved as we usually understand it. Most modern Christians think that being saved means that we're going to go to heaven when we die. Is that what you guessed when I asked you earlier in the day? Most people, if you ask them on the street, will tell you that being saved means you get to go to heaven. But if we look back to the original Greek, to the word sozo, salvation means a lot more than that. Sozo means not only the forgiveness of sins, that's part of it, but sozo also means healed, made whole being in a state of wellness, being complete, so-so, salvation. And our Methodist doctrine would have us embrace all of these meanings, every single one of them when we talk about salvation. Our text today comes from the Gospel of Luke directly following the birth narrative of Jesus. Now a little history here. Under Jewish law at that time, the birth of a firstborn male child meant that you had to go or the parents had to go to the temple and redeem that child's life through the offering of a sacrifice. Now for Mary and Joseph, that sacrifice was two turtle doves. Two turtle doves did not cost very much money and Mary and Joseph were of the poor class and did not have the money to offer a lamb or a calf. The timing of the offering going to temple was also very important because by Jewish law on the eighth day, any Jewish boy was to be circumcised in a religious ritual. And it was then that the offering was made for him after his mother had gone through eight days of purification after childbirth. So Mary and Joseph went to the temple to dedicate Jesus, and the following narrative ensues. This comes from Luke 2, beginning with verse 21. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, 
Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared to be in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. My eyes have seen your salvation, Simeon prophesied. Really? Simeon was holding and looking at an eight-day-old baby. This baby hadn't done anything yet to be called looking at salvation. He hadn't taught anybody. He couldn't talk at all. He hadn't healed anybody. This baby hadn't taught anybody how to pray. He hadn't challenged the powers and the authorities or been put on trial or led to the cross. He'd not had a victorious resurrection from the dead. But Simeon sees within this child perfection. There is wholeness. There is completion there. There is God. And Simeon tells God that he can now go in peace. He he can die now that he has seen salvation or the wholeness of God. Simeon didn't say anything about the five steps of salvation. It doesn't seem like he was talking about whether he was personally saved or going to heaven when he died. He wasn't referring to some right words that he had said or some right actions that people had to say or do. He held the Messiah baby and said he had seen the salvation of the Lord. Because, of course, Simeon did not understand salvation as to have to do with going to heaven anyway. He was seeing completeness in the baby, wholeness, the entirety of creation in this beautiful baby, the chosen one, the Messiah. And a wonderful truth was revealed to Simeon at that time. Salvation came to him through the peace that he received in knowing that God's presence was among the people in the flesh. And in that moment, his soul was calmed and he became whole. Salvation was his and his life was complete. So, 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 he was saved. He was whole. In that moment, he was healed and complete. So the next time some well-meaning and loving evangelist asks you if you are saved... Fall back on your Wesleyan understanding of salvation and tell him or her, I was saved, I am saved, and I am being saved. The salvation process goes on and on in our lives, and it starts happening even before we know it. That process, by the way, the process of salvation has much more to do with God's desire to transform us than it does with any litmus test about going to heaven. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement from the 1700s, had a trove of sermons that he preached. He traveled a great deal from horseback to group to group, and so he could preach the same sermon over and over again. He didn't even worry if he preached the same sermon to the same audience more than once because they probably needed to hear it anyhow. One of his standard sermons is called The Scripture Way of Salvation. 
Every Methodist seminarian and pastor has that sermon earmarked in a textbook somewhere. Hear now what Reverend Wesley has to say about salvation. And first let us inquire, what is salvation? The salvation which is here spoken of is not what is frequently understood by that word, the going to heaven, eternal happiness. It is not the soul's going to paradise. It is not a blessing which lies on the other side of death. Ye are saved. It is not something at a distance. It is a present thing, a blessing which through the free mercy of God ye are now in possession of. So all the way back to the 18th century, Methodists were preaching about how we needed to broaden and deepen our understanding of salvation. It is not a one-time event. It's not an emotion-laden decision made at a youth camp or on a mission trip. Salvation is not a get-out-of-jail-free card that you present at the pearly gates. Salvation is the most wonderful gift, the most wonderful idea, the most wonderful process ever thought about in the heart of God. Salvation is nothing less than God's plan to heal all things, to transcend all mistakes, to give meaning to all of our days through the person and the way of life of his beloved and perfect son. That son, of course, is the same infant that Simeon held that day in the temple and realized that he was salvation itself. Let us please open our eyes and see the totality of salvation. Salvation is for the whole of creation. It's not just a personal me and Jesus arrangement. Most of you know John 3.16. It's maybe the most famous verse in the entire New Testament. But the completion of John 3.16 comes in the next verse in John 3.17. Listen. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be, and I bet you even know the next word. What is it? Saved. In order that the world the world might be saved through him. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The scriptures are full of references to salvation and to being saved and uh, saving grace. And I don't have the time to read them all to you this morning, but here's an exercise we can all engage in. The next time you're reading your Bible... You do read your Bible, right? The next time you're reading your Bible and you come to the word save or salvation or saved, I want you to substitute the words wholeness or healed in there because that will help open up and broaden your understanding of salvation. Let's see how that broadens our scope of what salvation is. I'll tell you a story about um, salvation. Two summers ago, when we went on our very first trip to Kenya, uh, I was asked to come back the next year, and then this past year as well, to teach the pastors there. Now, the pastors of these churches that Reverend Joe is helping to plant um, 
are the most precious lay people. They are people exactly like yourselves who have felt a call to ministry and they go out and help plant a church. But none of them have had the benefit of any theological training whatsoever. So the preachers in the Gilgil district um, needed some help, their district superintendent thought. Uh, matter of fact, that first summer that I was there, he told them in a meeting we were having, um, every Sunday you preach the same message, he said. You preach the salvation message, and most of the people sitting there have been saved for many years. You need to learn to preach a larger message than just this one. Now, I don't know what it might have felt like to those pastors to have their district superintendent tell them that. I know what I would feel like if my district superintendent told me that, but I will say it set me up for a really great teaching experience the next year when I went back. They were eager to learn, and I taught them uh, of a lot of things. We talked mostly about grace, and we talked about salvation and what that is. One of the things I did, because there were no blackboards or no teaching materials, I had taken a large piece of paper and a magic marker with me. And so I I drew this illustration and put it up on the wall. And I just know that that slide is going to pop up there any minute. Yes, there it is. Uh, So this is a rough sketch. Oh, great. Thank you for enlarging it. It's a rough sketch that I drew to talk about grace and to talk about salvation. Um, So you can see that there's a sidewalk leading up to this house. No comments about the skill, please. This is a rough illustration. And I talked to them about the grace that God begins uh, giving to us from the time we were born. We Methodists call it prevenient grace. And whether we know it or not, God is pulling us and wooing us and directing us and guiding us to the path a long time before we know that we're being led to God. And we call that prevenient grace. And then there comes a time, hopefully, where, where salvation takes on a different turn for us. And that's when we're justified. That's when we recognize God. That's when we confess Jesus Christ. And, and we begin cooperating with what God has already been doing for, for all of our lives. God is still the same. But we are different as we move along this road of salvation. And then once in the house, you see that little chair in there? So once in the house, we, we stay in that phase of salvation for the rest of our lives, and that's called the sanctifying grace, the, the completion, that healing and work that God continues doing with us for the rest of our lives. Because here's the truth. We all have lots of holes, right? We've got lots of wounds. We've got lots of things to recover from. We have wounds and we have sin and we have ignorance and we grow out of that inch by inch. We all have a lot of maturing to do and God is good to extend sanctifying grace to the very end to finish us. Now people finish at different levels of sanctification. Some people come far on that path Their salvation brings them to a place of spiritual maturity that is deep and nourishes the community. And others seem to barely get off the starting line. But God is in the business of saving them all. 
God is in the business of saving and healing and completing and making whole. And the scriptures tell us that God is doing that for all of us and all of creation. So take this with you. Salvation is lifelong. It is not just an event. Salvation is always mediated by God's grace and our faith and the overlay of where those meet. It's not our doing, but it is ours to respond to. Salvation is a lifelong process without a beginning or an end in this life. So don't let anyone fool you into thinking you'll be saved if you just say the magic words. Salvation does not come to us in that way. It doesn't come to us by just following the five steps of salvation, although I won't argue that any of them are unimportant. It's just that what God lovingly does yesterday and today and tomorrow, what God planned from the creation of the earth, what Jesus came to earth to do to save the world through him is so much bigger than five steps. So much bigger, so much grander, so much more gracious. Won't you affirm with me today what is true and what we could say about the larger concept of salvation? We're going to say these words together. I just know we're going to say these words together. (laughs) Thank you for being with me. All right, let's say these words and affirm our salvation. I was saved. I am saved. I am being saved. Amen. Let us pray. God, you are so good to us. We don't even have the words to express it. But we try our best And we want to give you thanks for loving us, for bringing us along, for not holding us all to the same standard, but supporting us, for saving us in every single way so that we can move toward you. Give us the grace to keep moving toward you. Give us the grace to seek and find and become transformed by you. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this message, and if you did, I invite you to support our ministry by giving online at jwumc.org give. I also would invite you to find a church to attend on a regular basis or join us at John Wesley on Sunday mornings at 8.15, 9 o'clock, and 11.15. God bless and have a great week.